The Toyota Gazoo racing family of vehicles are made by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. And now it's time to put your passion for sports cars to the test. Can you name this GR vehicle? Could it be the first ever GR Corolla? The one and only. You know what they say, good things come in threes. So prepare for Toyota's most thrilling, thunderous trio yet with the GR Supra, GR86, and GR Corolla. Only problem now is picking a favorite. What a great problem to have. Welcome to the Toyota Gazoo Racing Family. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Travel can offer a lot of good. Memory-making adventure, mind-expanding experiences, and plenty of fun and relaxation. It's not surprising, then, that most people say they'd like to travel more than they do. What's keeping them from fulfilling that desire? Well, one obstacle, especially these days, is that the high price of plane tickets puts flying out of reach. My guest today can help you surmount this obstacle so you can get away more often. His name is Scott Kyes, and he's the founder of Scott's Cheap Flights and the author of Take More Vacations, How to Search Better, Book Cheaper, and Travel the World. Today on the show, Scott shares how scoring cheap flights can help you travel more often, the advantages of taking more frequent vacations, and the psychological benefit of planning your trips well in advance. We then get into the misconceptions people have about ticket pricing. From there, we turn to Scott's strategies for booking cheap flights, beginning with why he recommends adopting a flight-first rather than destination-first approach. Scott shares the Goldilocks time window when cheap flights are most likely to pop up, the benefits of building flexibility into your itinerary, the days that are typically cheapest to fly, and his favorite search site to look for flights. He also explains how to use the 24-hour rule and Southwest Airlines as arbitrage and getting better prices on your tickets, and how to employ what he calls the Greek island strategy to save more money when flying internationally. We end our conversation with how to take advantage of mistake fares and whether the high prices you're seeing this summer are here to stay. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awm.is slash cheap flights. All right, Scott Kyes, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you are the founder of Scott's Cheap Flights, where you highlight cheap flights that are out there. You've become the guru at finding really cheap flights. And you got a new book out where you highlight all the tips you've learned over the years of finding cheap flights. How did this happen? How did you end up becoming the cheap flights guru? Well, it started off when I went to school and studied cheap flights. I got my degree, you know, in cheap <laughs> flightology. And no, no, no. I, I actually, this was all a very serendipitous occurrence for me. I never in my life would have imagined that I would become an entrepreneur, much less a cheap flight entrepreneur. I studied writing and political science in college. I was a journalist for a while in a previous life. And I really kind of happened backwards into this life where you know, they say that necessity is the mother of invention. Well, I was somebody who out of college had huge dreams of wanting to travel to Europe and Asia and elsewhere, but basically no money to do it. And so I knew somehow people were out there getting cheap flights, but at the time I had no idea how they were doing it. And every time I was searching for flights, it was like, they all were expensive, you know, unaffordable. How, how were people doing this? And so what I ended up doing was really kind of putting on that journalist hat and scratching that itch of why is it that airfare is so volatile? How do you put yourself in a position to get those cheap flights when they pop up? And this all then culminated a year or two later when I got what is still to this day, probably the single best 
deal that I've ever personally gotten. And that was nonstop from New York City to Milan for $130 round trip. This was a steal. There's probably a flight that they meant to sell for $1,300 and forgot a zero at the end. But when I booked it, it was $130 and it was probably the best deal I've ever gotten. And so by taking this, this wonderful trip to Northern Italy and going skiing in the Alps and hiking in Cinque Terre, not only did I end up having this wonderful, incredible trip, but when I got back, all my, I guess, word had spread to all my friends and coworkers and they kept coming up to me. Hey, Scott, you know, I heard about that great deal you got. Uh, listen, next time you find a deal like that, can you let me know so I can get in on it too? And so rather than trying to remember every single person I needed to let know next time I found a deal, I decided, well, why don't I just make a simple little email list? And this way I can let everybody know at the same time. In that moment, Scott's Cheap Flights was born, but I had no idea because I wasn't an aspiring entrepreneur at the time. I was just somebody who wanted to solve this problem of letting everybody know when I found cheap flights. And But then over the next year or two, it grew and grew until it was finally time to, to think about turning it into an actual business. And here we are today talking to you about cheap flights. Exactly. Look, everybody else says they have the coolest job in the world, but I get to find cheap flights every single day and help people take make their vacation dreams come true. So I, I would at least like to put my hat in the ring for that one. So you're helping people find cheap flights, not for the sake of finding cheap flights. Like You're really passionate about this because you want people to take more vacations. In fact, that's what the title of your latest book is called, Take More Vacations. Let's talk about that. Like, Why do you think people, particularly Americans need to take more vacation? Like, What is the state of vacationing for Americans? So there are a few reasons why. First reason why is because everybody says they want to. Everybody says, you know, traveling and taking more vacation, it's one of the top New Year's resolutions every year. It's one of the top, when you look at survey data of what people want to do when they retire, it's always up there, number one, number two. Everybody desires to take more vacations than they actually do. When you look at the data on how many vacation days people have actually been taking, it's basically been on a downward slide for the past 25 years. You know, In the late 90s, people were taking on average 21 days of vacation a year. And the most recent data was more like 17 days, 16 days. And for millennials, it was under 15 days per year of vacation. And so everybody wants to take more, and yet we're taking less and less. And so part of it was to figure out, well, why is that the case? Why isn't our actions lining up with our desires? And one of the things that I really was struck by is how much the stress and complexity of trying to book flights is weighing on people's ability to take vacations. That because airfare is the single most volatile thing that most people purchase, that ends up leading to a ton of stress. It, it you know, it's planning is paradoxically both the most enjoyable part of a trip, but also the most stressful part for most people. And I think that's actually causing people to take fewer vacations than they would otherwise because they seem to only see expensive flights because they don't know if I don't, you know, if I see this fare today, should I book it? Will it go up tomorrow? Will it go down? How about a month from now? It ends up just leaving people much more anxious about an activity that is theoretically supposed to be one that's supposed to take their anxieties away. And so partially it's just trying to do this thing in service of what people say they want, but really at the end of the day, 
the reason why I think people ought to take more vacations is because I think you end up enjoying those vacations a lot more as a result. People, I think, make a, a, a mistake of thinking of travel and thinking of vacation as just something that you go do to relax, to you know, sit on the beach and and take your cares away. And that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with sipping a cocktail on the beach. But I would argue that traveling and vacations are actually more like a muscle where the more you do it, the better you get at matching the types of destinations, the types of trips and the types of activities to your individual personality. And so what I mean by that is when you look at people's satisfaction with their vacations over time, it actually goes up as they take more vacations because they get better at figuring out, will I enjoy a trip? to you know the center of Paris, all the hustle and bustle, or would I prefer something more in the countryside? Would I like to travel to somewhere where there's maybe a ton of pedestrian infrastructure where I can walk around, or would I rather be somewhere where there is where it's very kind of nature focused. There are tons of different types of trips out there that folks can take, but it's difficult to figure out which one is right for you until you start to just take more of them and test it out and see what you what vibes most with you rather than what vibes most with the average traveler. And and finding cheap flights allows you to take more vacations. I think most people you know, because flights, they think, oh man, they're so expensive. I can only take one big vacation a year. And because you only do it one time a year, you're not able to find out like, what do I really like? And it also, I think taking that one big vacation a year, it puts a lot of pressure on that vacation. Like it has to, if it's not out of the park, you're going to be disappointed. Like, man, I just waste a lot of money and time. But if you take smaller, cheaper vacations, you increase the chances of you having a better time. Yeah, that was one of the biggest revelations for me on this $130 trip to Milan was that because I got such a deal on the flight over, the entire experience of the trip was so much different. It was like this weight had been lifted off my shoulders where everything felt like it just had a halo to it. It had some salt added. I didn't have that pressure to enjoy myself at every single minute. I could relax and and kind of take things a bit slower. I could frankly spend a little bit more on, you know, I could get that truffle linguine. I could buy that first class train ticket rather than sitting in coach. I could, you know, splurge on the better seats for the AC Milan soccer match. Like I could do these things because I had saved so much on the flight over there. And so the cheaper the flight, I think the better you time you end up having on the vacation itself because you can take that money you saved and devoted towards having a better trip, but also because you don't have the same sort of pressure. So I think it works both on a financial standpoint and, as you mentioned, on the sort of quantity of vacation standpoint. If you take one big trip a year, that's putting a lot of pressure on that trip to enjoy it, making sure that this is, you know, all the sort of anticipation and pressure on this one trip. And then, you know, maybe you get there and things don't go as planned. Maybe there's thunderstorms. Maybe you miss, you know, the boat or the flight or something, you know, I don't know. You get, you lose your wallet. Like things happen on travel where all of a sudden, if it happens during this one trip, that's your entire vacation budget, time budget for the year. Whereas if you break that time up into two, three, four trips on the year, not only is it much more spread out, but then uh, the hangover of coming uh, coming back home from your vacation is just a much different experience. When you come back from that one big trip and it's 49 weeks until your next vacation, buddy, that is a tough 
tough outlook. But if it, you come back and it's just three months until your next trip, well, that's totally doable. You can already get busy planning, planning out what you're going to do at three months from now on your next trip. And so that's why I'm such an advocate of taking more vacations, using cheap flights as a way to get them. And then being able to not only enjoy yourself more on the trip, but also being able to test out the places that you go further down the list. You know, if you have one trip a year, you probably have to go to the big hits. You go to Paris and London and Tokyo. But if you have three or four trips a year, you can take a chance. You can take a flyer on going to Albania, to, you know, Trinidad and Tobago, to Taiwan, places that are kind of further down the traditional list, but might actually speak a lot to you personally. And some of the best trips I've had have been those sort of B-list, C-list, places that are not at the top of the traditional tourist circuit, but have been some of my favorite trips to Trinidad and Tobago, to Taiwan, to Lithuania, that I'm so glad I I was able to, to, to see those places, which I might not have if I only traveled once a year. Yeah, so I feel like too when you go to the big the big hits, you go there and you're like, oh, this looks like the pictures I've seen on the internet. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a letdown. Yeah, yeah, especially you know something like the Eiffel Tower, the Mona Lisa, like the Tower of looks Pisa, exactly like I expected yeah. it to. Yeah, the Tower of Pisa, it's leaning. All right. Um, <laughs> so I also like too. So there's all these. Uh, you highlight like this research about when you take vacations, it's great for your psychological health, it's great for your physical health. But you devoted this chapter about the anticipation factor of vacations, how, how in thinking about going on a vacation, actually, that's probably one of the most enjoyable parts. But I mean, talk about like what happens when you have something to look forward to. That's right. Look, I think a mistake that folks make when thinking about travel is we only think about travel as what happens on the trip itself. You've got a seven-day trip to Costa Rica, and you just think about it during those seven days. But if you actually look at the research of how people tend to enjoy their travels, it turns out we actually get more happiness and more joy in the weeks and months leading up to a trip than we do on the trip itself. And we actually get more joy in the weeks and months after a trip looking back on it than we did on the trip itself. And that's not to say we don't enjoy the actual trip itself. We do, but we get even more happiness before and after a trip. And I think a lot of folks maybe do themselves a disservice by buying into this idea of like, oh, a romantic, you know, last minute getaway. Oh, I'm just going to book something for this weekend and go. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I like being able to be spontaneous sometimes, but I think that undercuts some of the ways that you can really enjoy your vacation by planning it further out and giving your today self the joy of that anticipation of looking forward to it. You know, the great thing about daydreams is nothing goes wrong in them. When you're actually on that trip to Costa Rica, I don't know, you know, maybe there's a thunderstorm, maybe, I don't know, you get too close to some bad animal in the jungle, your taxi driver like rips you off, something like that. But when you're a month out from that trip, two months out, and you're daydreaming about hiking through the jungle, exploring the countryside, going to those coffee farms and those beaches, nothing is happening wrong in those in those daydreams. And so that's why we tend to actually enjoy the anticipation of travel more than the trip itself. And why I think that folks should be taking more effort to booking their travels further in advance and booking more of them. So that way, rather than just trying to book a trip a week before and then take it. And then there's this hangover. We've got nothing to look forward to for months on end. Instead, book those trips 
three months out, six months out. I've basically always got a trip booked three or six months out. So I have something to look forward to today that I can be excited about in the future. All right. So let's talk about how we can take more trips because plane tickets are usually the most expensive cost in a vacation, especially now. I'm sure people have tried to plan flights They're looking at it and they're just like, oh my gosh, like sticker shock. It's like, what's going on? So let, before we dig into how to find cheap flights, I think it'd help listeners to have a big picture overview of why plane ticket prices are so volatile. I mean, you check, you can check one day and it's this price. And then a few hours later, it's like 10 times higher. You check and you can see like an international flight is a cheaper flight than a domestic flight. What's going on there? Why, why are prices so all over the place? Yeah, airfare is the most volatile thing that most people purchase. And it's something that's really important to not fall prey to some of the classic mistakes that folks make of assuming that airfare is static. A lot of folks will think, well, you know, a flight from, let's say, New York to LA is supposed to cost $300, when in reality, it's a wide range that it's constantly swinging up and swinging down. The reason why airfare is so volatile is it has a few unique characteristics to it that's unlike other things we purchase. It is what's called a rival good. When I buy a seat on a flight, nobody else can buy that seat. It, you know, If I get it, nobody else gets it. There's what's called spoilage. So any unfilled seats when the door closes for that flight are spoiled. They get no money for those. So there's an expiration date. And there's unpredictability of if or when travelers are actually going to book those flights. And so airlines have to try to constantly be adjusting their price in anticipation that, you know, how many folks are going to book that flight to LA if it's at $300 at three months out, not enough. Okay. We need to cut it to 250. Oh, we're selling plenty. We can jack up the price. It's a very sort of volatile set of circumstances. And so the biggest thing that I think as consumers you can do is to stop thinking of airfare and flight tickets as something like a gallon of milk, where we think of airfare, you know, when you think of a gallon of milk, you go to the grocery store, the price yesterday is going to be about the price today, which is going to be about the price tomorrow. And the price that you pay for a gallon of milk there is basically going to be contingent on how much milk you're actually getting. You know, a half gallon is going to be a little bit more than half the price of a full gallon, et cetera. But airfare is nothing like either of those. To give you one example, I remember looking once at a flight from Atlanta to Amsterdam. This is a flight over Memorial Day, I believe. And on Monday, when we searched for it, it was $800 round trip. On Tuesday, when we searched for the same flight, it was $300 round trip. And on Wednesday, when we searched for the same flight, it was $1,300 round trip. And so it'll have the airfare will have these wild swings where it's not just like slowly creeping up and down. It can change by, you know, orders of magnitude day by day. And so the, the best thing you can do as a consumer in many cases is to remember that today's expensive flight can be tomorrow's cheap flight and vice versa. And when fares are expensive, be patient when they're cheap, pull the trigger quickly because that could change tomorrow. And then the last thing I would say on this is, you know, we talked about how the price of milk is large to continue with how much you're buying. Airfare is not like that. I remember looking at a flight last year from, there were fares available from Pittsburgh to Tokyo for $202 round trip. 
This is an incredible fare, obviously. But uh, do you know where else was available to fly from Pittsburgh for $202 on the same dates? Philadelphia. (laughs) And so it was the exact same price for the exact same wildly, wildly different amounts of flight distance. And so getting it out of your head that, oh, the how far you fly has a direct relationship with how much you can expect to pay. That's not the case with airfare. I think a lot of my job is really trying to get folks to unlearn those mistakes or unlearn their sort of assumptions about what airfare is supposed to be. Any other common misconceptions you see out there besides, you know, ticket price being correlated to trip distance, any big other big ones you see that kind of mess people up? Oh, goodness. Clearing your cookies, incognito window. People swear by this. I mean, if I cannot tell you how often I get, you know, yelled at to my face that I am absolutely wrong on this one, that it totally matters. You have to clear your cookies. I went ahead and tested this once to see, you know, does it show a different fare? The thinking being, oh, if the airlines can see you really, you know, you're searching for this flight, then maybe they'll jack up the price to try to get as much money from you as possible. So I went ahead and tested it once. I searched a flight from Denver to London, October 6th through 13th, and it, the fare came back as $442 round trip. I searched it a second time. $442 round trip. I, ser- I, I, I took hours of my day to search this a hundred times in a row. And lo and behold, on the hundredth time, just like the first time, it was still $442 round trip. I think the mistake people make is a sort of Truman Show-esque thing where, where they see sometimes fares change when you are searching for them. And that's because airfare, like we mentioned, is extremely volatile. But it's not because the airlines are watching you, you know, the I- individual Brett searching for these flights and deciding, oh, we, you know, we're going to jack up the price on them. It's because airfare is always changing. And in fact, I think the logic is actually backwards in some ways because the way that most companies work is that if you engage in what's called an abandoned cart, essentially you, you know, you're looking at a pair of pants from Levi's, you click on it, but then you don't ultimately purchase it. They see that you clicked on it. They see that you didn't buy it. Their solution is not to jack up the price on those pants. Their solution instead is usually to hit you with a coupon code or some other way of discounting the price to try to get you to purchase in the first place. So the good news, it's not going to cause you to have more expensive flights to clear your cookies or to search an incognito. It's just not necessary. It's not going to make any difference whatsoever. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Tis the season of laughter, sweaters, warmer drinks, and colds coming at you from left and right. Cold season is on the way. It's already hit our household here in the McKay family. And it's best to stay prepared so you don't miss all the actual fun things cold weather has to offer. If you have a throat, you probably do, you should be stocking up on Ricola's most powerful drop yet, Ricola Max Throat Care. It's the very best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum throat relief from your worst cough and sore throat when you need it most. I don't know for you guys, for me, I always get those coughing jags at night when I got a cold. Terrible. Pop in a Ricola Max Throat Care, boom, takes care of it. We'll all be doing a lot of giving, so think of Ricola as the tiny little presence of relief waiting to be unwrapped for you. Maximum menthol for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. Find it at grocery stores or drug stores in the cold and cough aisle. We often refer to the past as simpler times, but was it really? 
before the internet, how did people find customers for a new business? We well, probably had to print out flyers and business cards and post them on lampposts and in other businesses, pay for radio advertising. It was a lot of work. The internet makes it a lot easier, but more specifically, Squarespace makes all aspects of building a brand and growing a business online possible, all with one service. First, if you're going to start a business, you need to have a website. Squarespace makes that easy to do. You can get a great looking website up in just a few minutes. It's point, click, and drag. And with your website, you can sell products and services uh, really easy to do. In addition to providing the tools you need to actually share your products information, Squarespace Analytics allows you to use insights to grow your business and learn where your site visits and sales are coming from. If you want to try this out, head to squarespace.com manliness for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use promo code manliness to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash manliness for a free trial. Promo code manliness to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And now back to the show. All right, let's talk about some tactics to find cheap flights. And you say most people, when they search for a flight, they use a destination first approach when finding flights. But you argue that if you want to find the cheap flights, you need to take a flight first approach. So walk us through the difference between these two and how does a flight first approach help you find cheaper deals? Sure. So let's say, you know, you're planning a typical vacation, Brett. And, and, and the way, if you plan your vacation, like most people, you use what's called a destination first approach. And so it probably looks something like this. Tell me if I'm, if I'm off base here, you decide first, where do you want to go? Oh, you know, the uh, Paris. It's it, I've I've had it on my list for a while. It seems great. Like I don't know. I just saw some Instagram somebody there taking some great photos at the Eiffel Tower. I would love to go to Paris. So you decide. Okay, Paris is the play. And then second, well, when is a good time to go to Paris? When do we have off? Oh, we could go like in the middle of August. You know, we've got some time off work then. Let's choose. How about August 15th through 22nd? That'd be perfect to go to. Okay, so we're going to go to Paris August 15th through 22nd. Step three, let's look at what the airfare costs. And by already choosing the destination and already choosing the dates and then going to search for the fares, the end result most of the time is pretty expensive flights. And then we're left wondering, well, why the heck are flights always so damn expensive? And so instead, what I what I recommend folks is if you want to get cheap flights, if cheap flights are really a priority, don't make them the last priority in the, in the way that you did in this three-step approach of the destination-first approach. Instead, make it the top priority. Take that same three-step process and flip it on its head. Step one, this is what I call the flight first approach. Step one, where are there cheap flights available from my home airport right now? So let's say you live in in Los Angeles. Just in the past week, there were flights from LAX to Hawaii for $160 round trip. There were flights from LAX down to Costa Rica for, I believe, $240 round trip or over to Barcelona for $385 round trip. Oh man, I would love to go to Hawaii. Like all of those sound great, but Hawaii seems really, really awesome. So then step two, you decide of those places where they're cheap, which one interests me the most. 
chose Hawaii of those three. Step three, what dates work for my schedule that have those cheap fares available? Oh, we could go August 17th through 24th. I see this $160 fares available then. Let's do it that way. And so it's the same three steps, but just by reordering it and putting cheap flights as the top priority rather than the last priority, that's how you end up being able to get cheap flights and being able to take three or four vacations for the same price you used to pay for one. I think the mistake a lot of folks make is getting their heart set on one destination at the expense of all their options. When in reality, I think most people would are like me, they'd love to see most places in the world. And, you know, it's just a matter of when to go visit them. And I like to use cheap flights as kind of the determinant there. Like if there's a cheap flight available right now to Hawaii, great. I'm going to hop on that. Even if it's for three, six months from now, knowing that Paris isn't going anywhere, it'll still be there next time we show up. You know, I think, I think a lot of folks approach travel planning and flight searching as though they're showing up at a restaurant and you know the waiter offers them the menu and they just wave it away and say no 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 i'm going to have the filet mignon please don't even look at the price and then you know get a little surprised when the bill comes and and they just uh, bought the most expensive dinner that they've had in a month instead you know i like to look for those bargains look for those values and remembering that the availability of cheap flights is not something that stays static. It's not that there's one price from LA to Paris. Maybe it's expensive right now, so I'm going to book somewhere else, but maybe later this year it ends up popping up uh, pretty cheap and I can take advantage of it then. No, what I love about this technique too is that it injects some serendipity in your life, right? Because you see, oh, I never would have thought of going to Costa Rica, but it's only 150 bucks. I'll go do that. That's exactly right. Look, that trip to Milan, that $130 flight that I took, I woke up that morning with zero intention of booking a flight to Italy that day. It was not something that was on my mind at all. I am not a fashionable person. If you saw me right now, I am in shorts and a t-shirt and looking a little bit slovenly, frankly, to go to such a, a you know fashion-forward place. But for $130 round trip, I mean, there's basically nowhere in the world that I wouldn't go. And then once I get there realizing, oh, there are all these like kind of hidden gems in the area. Oh, I could popped up to Lake Como, went to hike in Cinque Terre, went skiing in the Alps, went to an AC Milan, you know, Champions League game. It was so much fun in a way that, again, totally serendipitous that rather than if I had sort of prescripted everything from the get-go and kind of looked at a map and decided, okay, I'm going here and then just hoping and praying that cheap fares pop up. And by, again, putting that that price as the top priority, it left my wallet still so flush that I could be take doing it again, you know, a few months from then and, and continuing to take more and more trips each year. Okay. So the first technique, I, mean, I think it's paradigm shifting for a lot of people. Look for the flight first, look for the cheapest flight first, and then pick your destination. But let's say someone needs to take a destination first approach to finding a flight. Like say they've got a, a wedding they got to go to, for example. What, what are some things you can do to still find cheap flights, even though you've got a destination in mind first? That's right. Look, flexibility is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to get cheap flights, but it's not the only, you know, you don't have always have a ton of flexibility in every trip. Sometimes you've got that wedding where you don't have control over the destination, you don't have control over the dates, and you'd still like to make sure that you, you know, are not paying an arm and a leg to for those flights. 
And so even in those situations, you still have a lot of control over making sure you get the best deal possible. The single most important thing you can do for those trips where you don't have much flexibility is to get the timing of your booking right. I use this technique called the Goldilocks windows approach. So what this idea is, is that there are certain windows in advance of purchase when cheap flights are most likely to pop up. If you're traveling domestically, it's usually about one to three months in advance is when a cheap flight is most likely to pop up. If you're traveling internationally, about two to eight months, it's a much larger window when those cheap flights are most likely to pop up. And if you're traveling during a peak travel period, you know, middle of summer, Christmas, New Year, something like that, you need to add a few months to those recommendations. So advanced planning is is especially critical if you don't have any flexibility about where or when you go. But even then, you know, trying to make sure that you are not only getting the timing of your booking right, but that you're taking advantage of any other like little kind of nudges that can help get you a cheaper flight. So maybe, you know, are you willing to add or subtract a day to your trip if fares are significantly cheaper? Let's say you live in Philadelphia. Are you willing to, you know, keep an eye on cheap flights out of Newark or out of BWI or, you know, Washington, D.C. if fares are significantly cheaper than out of uh, Philly? Are you willing to, you know, making sure you check Southwest.com separately because their fares don't show up on flight search engines? There are a lot of kind of little tips and tricks like that to make sure that you're still getting the best deal possible, even in those instances where you have much less flexibility than a normal vacation. Yeah, I love the example of you know being intentional about the airport you fly out of because that can that can just knock. I mean, in one case, I think it was an international flight. It, it knocked like thousands of dollars off of a plane ticket because someone took a three-hour drive to a, a, a different airport. Yeah, this is one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite stories. So one of the people I interviewed for my book, Take More Vacations, was Shanna Lathwell. And she and her she has a family of five. They live outside Detroit, Michigan. So Detroit's their home airport. She had always wanted to take her family out, out to Bali. But flights from Detroit to Bali are normally like $2,500, you know, somewhere in that in that ballpark. And so family of five, we're talking $12,500 just for the flights. And so that was, of course, like totally out of the question. But all of a sudden, one day she got an alert from Scottsdale Flights that fares to Bali had popped up for $550 out of Chicago. Now, what was interesting was Chicago is obviously not her home airport, but she could buy five tickets for a flight out of Chicago to Bali for the same price that it would cost for one ticket out of Detroit to Bali. And so the question then was, is it worth it? Like, it's not, is Detroit more convenient to fly out of than Chicago, but is it $10,000 more convenient? And that's a pretty... Like that's a pretty easy question, especially for a family of five. So what they did was just they bought those five tickets from Chicago to Bali. They hopped in the car. They drove the you know three or four hours, whatever it is, to drive from Detroit 
to Chicago and caught the flight there. And the funny thing about it was because it it's a much simpler itinerary from Chicago. It's it was just a I believe it was Chicago to Taipei, then down to Bali with a pretty brief layover. It was actually going to be shorter travel time total, even with the drive over to Chicago, than if they were to book a flight out of Detroit that had two connections, long layovers. The way I put it is like you if she had if she and some friends had booked their flights and their friends were flying out of Detroit and she was flying out of Chicago, even with the drive over, she would have gotten there three or four hours earlier, been able to, you know, get at lunch, take some surf lessons, hang out at the pool waiting for their friends flying out of Detroit to actually get to Bali and meet them. So not only can it sometimes save you a ton of money to keep an eye on nearby airports, it can even sometimes actually save you time as well. Okay. So I think if you don't have any flexibility on your destination or the time, I guess the, the trick is to find ways to inject flexibility in your travel plans, whether that's changing the airport you fly out of, or maybe even the airport you fly into and you have to maybe drive a few hours or be flexible and, you know, when you fly in. So maybe you, have to ex- you, you get there a little bit earlier because the ticket's a little bit cheaper or you leave a little bit later. That's right. Look, I took a trip once to Norway. I was flying out of, out of Washington, D.C., Flights from DC to Norway at the time were, uh, you know, 700, 800 bucks. Like it wasn't cheap. But what I ended up stumbling across was a flight from DC to Brussels in Belgium for $225 round trip. Once I got to Brussels, being able to catch a, you know, budget flight up to Oslo was like $50. And so by pairing a cheap flight across the Atlantic within a, a cheap flight, within Europe, I was able to save four or $500 off what it would have cost to book it as a single itinerary from DC to Oslo. What was especially great about splitting up that way wasn't just the money savings. It meant also that I could take some time to explore Brussels before my flight up to Oslo. And so I spaced it out by a day or two, got to basically get a free layover in Belgium, hang out, you know, have some good waffles, some great fries, you know, see the the weird mannequin piss statue. Like it was, it, it was awesome. It was the, you know, I didn't like 48 hours was the perfect amount of time to to spend on that trip and then continue on to my final destination. So again, yeah, giving your, I think a lot of times people unintentionally kneecap themselves by thinking of flexibility as a binary, either you're totally flexible or you have zero flexibility. When in reality, it's much more of a spectrum. It's much more of a dimmer switch. You have some amount of flexibility and trying to take advantage of it where you can to get cheaper flights without having to, without having to always have like a hundred, 100% flexibility that maybe you did as a solo traveler in your early twenties, taking a vacation. Okay. And so to reiterate too, there's the Goldilocks model for when you want to buy a ticket. And that's like, you know, one month to three months out for most flights. It's going to be a little bit longer if you're trying to plan a flight at peak flight season. And for a bunch of complicated reasons you talk about in the book, and this, I thought this is really interesting. Flights usually aren't cheaper if you book them more than three months out. And then you don't also don't want to wait the last minute because airlines are counting on business travelers who they don't care about the price because you know the, the company's paying for it and they got to make it to a meeting regardless. So they're counting on them to buy the, the last minute tickets. So it's always going to be really expensive last minute. So I guess the takeaway, follow the Goldilocks model, one to three months out, buy your ticket. And then as you mentioned, I think some people think if you book your flight you know, on this day or on a certain day, 
you're going to find the cheapest flights. And you said well, that used to be the case you know, a long time ago, but that's not the case anymore. Yeah, this is one of those misconceptions where 20 years ago when airlines first started selling their tickets online, they really would load their fares once a week at a predetermined time, like say Tuesday at 1 p.m., and if you were one of the first people to book flights after that happened, you really could get some, you know, they had a very limited number of cheap flights and you could really take advantage. The problem is that that is not how airlines have priced their tickets for years now. Nowadays, airfare is set algorithmically. It's changing by the day, if not by the hour. And so while there's no predetermined time when flights are cheapest to book, there are cheaper days generally to fly. You know, we talked about the business travelers versus leisure travelers. The cheapest days to fly are typically Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Those are more often than not going to be cheaper. It's not 100% of the time. I like to think of it kind of as a as, as a, uh, something of a betting line. Look, when LeBron steps on a basketball court, he's usually favored to win, but that doesn't mean he's never lost a game. It's kind of the same with cheapest days of the week to fly. They're, they're, usually those are going to be cheaper, but sometimes you'll see cheap flights pop up on Mondays or Sundays or, or Fridays. It's just a little bit less likely. And what about the seasonality around prices? Because I mean, I'm sure, okay, summertime is probably the most expensive time to fly. But are, are there periods to fly when it's cheaper? Because I know, in, you know, in the book, you talk about how flying Thanksgiving week in the United States is really expensive, but it can be the best week to travel internationally. So, I mean, are there any other periods like that to fly when it's cheaper? Absolutely. Look, summer and and Christmas, New Year's are the two most expensive times of year to fly. Summer is an expensive time of year to fly because you have all the you know students, teachers, families with kids in school who can only travel around the academic calendar. That sort of funneling of demand ends up leading to much more expensive tickets. Whereas if you have the flexibility, if your schedule allows you to travel in the fall, in the winter, in the spring, you're much more likely to see very, very cheap tickets during those times. The last thing too that I would note is that summer flights are always going to be expensive. That's seasonality. And last minute summer flights are going to be especially expensive. And so I think a lot of the sticker shock that many folks are seeing right now is a little bit of that sort of confluence of of, of factors working against people that not only are they looking for flights during the peak season, but they're doing so at about the worst time to book that last minute window when fares tend to really skyrocket rather than come down in price. What's your approach to searching for flights? Do you like Expedia, Kayak, Google Flights? What's your process? Yeah, they, they, they sort of open secret in the industries. They're basically all the same, whether you search on Orbit, search on Expedia, search on Kayak, search on... My personal favorite is Google Flights. I just find it the user interface, the user experience to be significantly better, faster, more powerful. That's why I like it. But the actual results that you're going to see are going to be basically a same, the same across the board. So the good news is if you have a preference, one or the other, you really, you know, you swear by Skyscanner, you love Kayak, go for it. It's not, it's not going to make a huge difference in the actual fares that you see. But what I would say is that you might want to differentiate between where you search for your flights and where you book your flights. Because the price tends to stay the same, I like to search for my flights on any one of those kind of 
meta search sites where I'm comparing across airlines to make sure I'm getting the best price. But then when I actually go to book, I typically like to book directly with the airline. And that's for two reasons. One, because there are certain federal protections that you have when you book directly with the airline. For instance, there's something called the 24-hour rule. This is a federal law that says when you book a flight directly with an airline, you from the moment you hit purchase, you get a 24-hour grace period during which you can cancel your purchase and get a full cash refund, no questions asked. That is not the case under federal law when you book through an online travel agency. They might have their own policies or, or, or offerings on those Many of them do, but they don't because they don't have the weight of law behind them. They're just not quite as attractive in my mind. But second, when you book a flight directly with an airline, if something goes wrong with your itinerary, if the flight schedule gets changed, if there's thunderstorms, if you decide to cancel or this or that, it's much easier to handle or change your itinerary if you can just deal directly with the airline rather than having to deal with a middleman. Because not only you know is the middleman going to be a more just an arduous process, but then you've got not only the airline's policies, but the middleman's policies to deal with as well. And so this, for simplicity's sake, it ends up being far, far preferable if anything needs to change with your itinerary if you've booked directly with the airline. So differentiating between where you search and where you book. All right. So book with the airlines. And you talk about you can take advantage of that 24-hour rule when you book with an airline to kind of, it's a way to find better prices. It's kind of arbitrage, right? That's right. So, I mean, you know, I'll give you one example. There was a, a gentleman that I interviewed for the trip who had really wanted to travel to Japan. He was very, very excited to be able to visit. And when some cheap flights popped up for him, he was like really excited to book them. I believe they were initially, I'm trying to find the exact price, initially $572 he booked them. But then Within 24 hours, all of a sudden, a better flight popped up. He was in D.C. from Richmond to Tokyo for even cheaper. So he said, well, look, Richmond's not that hard to get to. I'll save the save you know $100. I'll go down to Richmond and get a cheaper flight. And because this new fare popped up within 24 hours, he could cancel the old itinerary and book the new ticket from Richmond to Tokyo. Well, then lo and behold, again, within 24 hours of doing that, Another cheaper flight popped up this time out of DC to Tokyo for just 584 bucks round trip, even better than the initial Richmond flight. So he canceled that one, booked the new DC Tokyo flight for 584 and ended up being able to take a great trip, a much more convenient trip than what he had initially booked. And so the key to remember is that the 24 hour rule can help you in a few different ways. It can help you if you're not 100% sure you want to take a trip, but you see a really good fare. So if you book it, what that does is essentially just freeze the price for 24 hours and give you time to decide, do you want to keep this trip or would you rather just cancel and get your money back? Maybe you need to consult with a significant other, a travel partner, but they're in a meeting rather than risking the fare disappearing, which, which does happen, especially with really cheap fares. You could book it, lock it in for 24 hours, and then cancel later if you decide you don't want it. But then it also, the 24-hour rule, lets you take advantage, like with this gentleman Donald and his, his flights to Tokyo, where if the price drops after you book, which happens more often than you would think, airlines do have what are called fare wars, where they're essentially just ratcheting down the price to compete with one another. 
If there's a fair war going on, you can book your flight, but then if the price gets cheaper or if it switches from a connecting flight to a nonstop flight, you can cancel your old itinerary, book the new one and take advantage without having to pay anything extra. And in fact, be able to save the difference. And you, you, you also will highlight that you can do this with Southwest Airlines, use them as an arbiter's tool. So typically Southwest, we think of like it's a budget airline, right? But oftentimes you can find better deal with the other airlines. So you're saying use Southwest Airlines to get to your initial destinations. You can lock in that kind of, you know, basically affordable price, but then, you know, keep looking for better deals with another airline. Yeah. Like, okay. So I've got a, I've got a wedding that I need to go to this September. And as soon as I got the, the dates for that wedding, What I did was went ahead on Southwest.com and I just booked the best flight I could find, you know, with a reasonable price to the destination for those wedding dates. And the reason why I booked it on Southwest, and especially I did so with Southwest points that I had, is that Southwest flights are free to cancel. If you book with points, you just get all those points redeposited with no fee or anything. If you book with cash, they just hold your funds as a tra- you know the exact amount as travel credit for a future trip. And so what that does is it essentially lets you set a price ceiling. So in this instance, I believe it paid like $350 for the flight. And what that said was I set $350 as the maximum. So if the price went down on Southwest, well, I'll just cancel and I'll rebook it for the $300 price if it does go down. If it goes up to $400, no worries. I already got my $350 ticket. If it goes down on another airline, let's say American offers that that flight for the on those dates for $250, well, great. I'll book that American flight. I'll cancel my Southwest one for $350 and end up being able to take a, te- a cheaper trip. So either way, what it ends up allowing you to do, the Southwest arbitrage, is essentially create a heads you win, tails the airlines lose situation. And Lord knows we need more of those because it feels like it's more often the other case, you know, the, that the airlines are usually the one to try to get one over on you. And so finding instances like this where you can say, this is the most that I'm going to pay. And if there are any price drops between now and then, which there often are considering how volatile airfare is, uh, you can take advantage and end up saving the difference. Another advanced tip you highlight that can save you a lot of money, especially if you're flying internationally. And you mentioned this earlier. Let's say you want to go someplace in Europe, like Brussels, but like direct flights from Brussels from your, you know, from Chicago are crazy. But if you find a place to London that's super cheap, basically you said you can just build in a layover in London. And then as soon as you're in Europe, it's pretty cheap to fly anywhere in Europe after that point. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, so I call this the Greek island strategy. The idea that if you were to search for a flight from New York to Santorini, oftentimes they're closer to like $1,500, especially if you're traveling in the summer. But flights from New York to Athens are regularly $450 and oftentimes nonstop, whereas there are no nonstops to Santorini from the US. Once you get to Athens, it's really easy to hop a budget flight, hop a ferry, something else to get to the to the islands for, you know, 50 bucks, 75 bucks. And so not only do you end up save, you know, being able to pocket uh, get a, a 66% price reduction off those $1500 Santorini flights, but you also again can build in that free layover where you can take as much time as you'd like in Athens before continuing on to Santorini and make it a, a free layover, free two and one trip looking for especially when you are traveling whether it's somewhere remote 
or somewhere, even just where there's a, the destination, there aren't many cheap flights popping up. Getting, you know, we talked about getting creative when you might not have full flexibility. Keeping an eye on cheap nearby airports, knowing that once you get to Europe, once you get to Southeast Asia, it's really easy to then continue on from the hub where you arrive to your final destination on another flight. And the reason why you need to take a little creativity and search this yourself is that the airlines themselves aren't going to sell tickets on rival airlines. And so maybe the cheapest flight across the ocean, let's just say it's on uh, British Airways, but then the cheapest flight from London down to Brussels is on, let's just say it's on KLM. Let's say you're going to Amsterdam and it's on KLM. You're not going to be able to buy that as a single itinerary with British Airways and KLM because they're rivals. They don't sell one another's tickets and you're not going to see that cheap. But instead, by buying one flight to London and a separate flight from London to Amsterdam, you are able to build yourself the cheapest itinerary. Uh, And so that's why it's important, especially when you have these long haul flights over an ocean to see if you can do it cheaper by flying into a different gateway and then continuing on with a different airline to your final destination. Uh, another tip to find cheap flights is mistake fares. And I guess you're, you're kind of allude, you're kind of hinting that you think that great deal you got to Milan was a mistake fare. What are those, and like why do they happen, and how do you find them? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was there was no question that was a mistake fare. Mistake fares are interesting because they pop up more often than people would realize, and they they end up getting honored much more often than people would think. You know, obviously that hundred thirty dollar flight got honored, but that's not the only mistake fare I've gotten in my life. I've gotten a flight from the U.S. to Japan for hundred and sixty nine dollars round trip. Like half of my coworkers, it's got two flights, got a business class round trip flight to Southeast Asia for $550 round trip, uh, a ticket that normally costs $5,000 to you know Bangkok or Bali or Vietnam. And those types of deals pop up quite regularly, right? Really, you know, uh, uh, eight, 10, 12 times a year. Usually like I'm looking at one in just a couple months ago, there were mistake fare to Iceland, where it was Boston to Reykjavik for a hundred dollars round trip, DC to Reykjavik for 129, Denver to Reykjavik for 149 round trip. Those types of deals do pop up regularly. They pop up for a number of reasons. So the classic case was like with that Milan deal where maybe they just accidentally forgot a zero at the end and sold it to me for $130 rather than $1,300. There are other reasons why maybe the, again, airfares set algorithmically nowadays. And so it's much more difficult to often figure out what, you know, it, it will one change here produce a sort of anomaly in the end result of some other fares. And so they do pop up still pretty regularly. The key when a mistake fare pops up is to book it as quickly as possible. Again, taking advantage of the 24-hour rule because you know as soon as they're fixed, they're gone. I remember looking at a flight once from the US to India. I believe it was from Dallas to India for $212 round trip. And I was so excited. You know, I was messaging friends, hey, who wants to take this trip? By the time we sort of found, I recruited a friend to go travel, we planned our itinerary and everything. We we took two hours to plan where we were going to go and when before then booking our flight. And I kid you not, 30 seconds before I went to book the flight, it disappeared. 
the $212 mistake was fixed. And so by, by dawdling, by, by taking our time, we ended up missing the deal. Uh, so we mentioned that prices right now are just crazy for summer, summer travel. I guess your take is if you really want to travel to that place, it's better to hold off. You want a cheaper flight. Yeah, absolutely. Look, if you have the opportunity to travel in the fall or beyond, really Labor Day and beyond, fares are likely to be 50% lower or more. I mean, you just, you see tons of it. I think people have made the mistake of assuming that cheap flights are gone forever when in reality, they're just gone for this summer. We are still living in what I call the golden age of cheap flights. It's just, it's at this point, as it would be in any at this in June of any summer, it's virtually impossible to find cheap summer flights. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that flights are up by a third this summer. Is that right? Yeah, they are significantly rebounded from where it was a year ago. Still cheaper when you look up compared to where it was a decade ago. But you know, small comfort for folks who are kind of got used to those really cheap pandemic era flights and then are getting a bit of sticker shock this summer. Okay, so flights are really expensive in the summer any year, but they're especially high this year because of pent-up travel demand. During the pandemic, the airlines laid off pilots and they didn't hire as many people, and now everyone wants to travel. But even if those things get smoothed out, will prices go down in the fall like they usually do? Like, will, will they go back to the normal fall levels that we're used to? Or are things like inflation or and oil prices going to keep them from going back to the prices that we're normally accustomed to? Uh, they will go back and you don't have to take my word for it. You can just look, go look at the prices for the fall right now. You know, right, I, I, I took a look before chatting with you and, and, you know, just a couple sample fares. For instance, if you wanted to fly right now from Chicago to Cancun, July 21st through 29th, 583, September 21st through 29th, 233. You know, Austin down to Aruba, July 8th through 15th, 951 round trip, November 8th through 15th, 293 round trip. If your schedule allows you to travel in the fall or the winter, you really can take advantage of a lot of the cheap flights that are still available, but you want to try to book those sooner rather than later. If you wait again to the last minute to book those, if you wait till September to book your flights in October, it could be kind of difficult to get something cheap. Whereas if you try to get those on the books now and give your today self something to look forward to, it's going to end up being better both for your uh, happiness and for your wallet. So, Scott, I guess the big takeaway there, if you're going to plan a trip, uh, plan for the fall. And even if prices do go up a little bit, there's still good deals to be found. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, it, it's if your schedule allows it, try to avoid, frankly, flying in the middle of summer. That's when fares are going to be most expensive. If cheap flights are important to you, traveling in the middle of summer is generally not going to be the best time to do that. But even if you really want to uh, travel in summer and you really want to still get a good deal, having to plan well ahead. But all, what I like to say is if you want to travel peak season, always book opposite season, you know, in the same way that swimsuits are going to be cheapest to buy in the winter, same with your summer flights, purchasing those in the winter. And so what that means is right now in the summer, the cheapest thing to buy on in, in stores are those winter coats. The cheapest flights to buy right now are those winter holiday flights. So think about booking your Christmas, New Year's flights now, while well, they're going to be much cheaper than if you wait four or five months and are trying to book them at the same time as everybody else and seeing really expensive fares at that that point. Well, Scott, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Absolutely. So the book is available at any bookstore. The, some of the 
large conglomerates selling books online or your local independent bookstore. It's called Take More Vacations. And you can sign up for alerts about cheap flights popping up from your home airport at scottscheapflights.com. No apostrophes, no underscores. That's scottscheapflights.com. Fantastic. Well, Scott Kais, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Brett. Thank you so much for having me. My guest today was Scott Kyes. He is the founder of Scott's Cheap Flights. You can check that out at scottscheapflights.com. Also check out his book, Take More Vacations, available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash cheapflights where you can find links to resources where we delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the A1 Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanless.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the A1 Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the A1 Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to get your review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay. Remind you on the Listening Win podcast, but put what you've heard into action. We all have a lot on our plates. Work, kids, relationships. And sometimes it can be hard to just catch a breath. When life is go, go, go. It matters where you stay. Hilton's family of brands is team members dedicated to making you feel truly cared for so you can mentally check out before you even check in. Take the break you deserve and book your next stay on Hilton.com. Hilton for the stay.